the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Trump fires back after Cohen accusation. I'm Sean Cantwell. President Donald Trump accused his former lawyer Michael Cohen of lying under pressure of prosecution Wednesday as his White House grappled with allegations that the president had orchestrated a campaign cover-up to buy the silence of two women who claimed he had affairs with them. Confronting mounting legal and political threats, Trump took to Twitter to accuse Cohen of making up stories in order to get a deal from federal prosecutors. Cohen pleaded guilty Tuesday to eight charges, including campaign finance violations that he said he carried out in coordination with Trump. Behind closed doors, Trump expressed worry and frustration that a man intimately familiar familiar with his political, personal, and business dealings for more than a decade had turned on him. Yet his White House signaled no clear strategy for managing the fallout. At a White House briefing, Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders insisted at least seven times that Trump had done nothing wrong and was not the subject of criminal charges. She referred substantive questions to the president's personal counsel, Rudy Giuliani, who was at a golf course in Scotland. Outside allies of the White House said they'd received little guidance on how to respond to the events and their appearances on cable news, and it was not clear the West Wing was assembling any kind of coordinated response. Ohio State on Wednesday night suspended head football coach Urban Meyer for three games for mishandling domestic violence accusations, punishing one of the sport's most prominent leaders for keeping an assistant on staff for several years after that coach's wife accused him of abuse. The move followed a two-week investigation into how Meyer reacted to allegations that former Buckeye assistant Zach Smith abused his ex-wife Courtney Smith. Zach Smith was fired last month after she asked a judge for a protective order. Courtney Smith alleged her husband shoved her against a wall and put his hands around her neck in 2015. The university put Meyer on paid leave and began its investigation after Courtney Smith spoke out publicly, sharing text messages and photos she traded in 2015 with Meyer's wife Shelly, who is a registered nurse and instructor at Ohio State. Trustees discussed the decision to punish Meyer in a marathon meeting of more than 12 hours Wednesday. Athletic Director Gene Smith, who is not related to Zach or Courtney Smith, was also suspended from August 31st through September 16th. In local news, Thetford Township Police Chief Robert Kenny was arrested this week in connection with an investigation into surplus military equipment his department received. Court records show Kenny is charged with embezzlement and obstruction of justice dating back to 2012. The Sheriff's Office has been investigating Thetford Township's use of more than $1 million worth of surplus military equipment obtained through the Law Enforcement Supports Office over the past decade. Kenny obtained the equipment, including a large forklift, down to several used sleeping bags on behalf of the township's two-person police department. Thetford Township Supervisor Gary Stevens has challenged Kenny for months to account for the whereabouts of the equipment. Much of it had been stored on private property inside and outside the township. In April, the Sheriff's Office raided the Thetford Township offices and seized several boxes of evidence. An EPA employee credited with sounding the alarm that Flint's water wasn't safe to drink told his side of the story in court Wednesday. Miguel Del Toro took the witness stand in the 14th day of a preliminary hearing against four Michigan Department of Environmental Quality employees. Stephen Bush, Michael Prisby, Leanne Schechter-Smith, and Patrick Cook are all facing at least two felony charges apiece. Their charges include misconduct in office and involuntary manslaughter against two of them related to the deaths of two people who allegedly died of Legionnaire's disease. 
A series of emails were put in evidence Wednesday showing Del Toro's communication with Bush and Cook. In one of those emails, Bush told him the proper corrosion controls were in place at the Flint water treatment plant, but when he started asking more, Cook told him no corrosion control was in place. Special Prosecutor Todd Flood is planning to call Del Toro back to the witness stand when the hearing continues on September 19th. More testimony dates are scheduled into October. In sports, John Lester pitched into the sixth inning and the Chicago Cubs homered three times, finally breaking out of their offensive funk in an 8-2 victory over the Tigers on Wednesday night. Biker abandons motorcycle after leaving a long skid mark in wet cement and possibly other places. That story in the forecast in 60 seconds. The Tom Sumner program is made possible in part by Back to the Bricks, presented by Buick. From Chrome and Ice in February to the promo tour in June, plus tune-up parties, the cruise, and the big show in August. Back to the Bricks events celebrate the rich automotive history of Flint, Michigan, and America's love affair with the automobile. More about Back to the Bricks on Facebook and at backtothebricks.org. Support for the Tom Sumner Program comes from Hamity Complete Food Center, the same family values and community spirit that founded Hamity's back in 1911 and sent trucks of food to sit-down strikers in 1937, is back. Hamity Sacks and all. Hamity Complete Food Center is located at 2629 West Pearson Road near Clio Road in Flint and on Facebook. Apparently, there's something irresistible about wet cement. A photo shared on social media by MDOT shows a motorcycle in a 969 work zone after a biker abandoned ship after landing in freshly poured concrete. Another photo shows a huge skid mark in the concrete. MLive said in a Facebook post, quote, you can pick your bike up at the impound where the police will be waiting. Sunny today with a high of 81, cleared tonight with a low of 56, partly cloudy tomorrow with a high of 78 and a low of 64. That's the latest. I'm Sean Cantwell. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Weaver, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Stream us live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon at TomSumnerProgram.com, made possible by listeners like you. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour here on the Tom Sumner program. Uh, we're, we're going to uh, uh, invoke a part deux. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, uh, a week ago Friday, uh, Anna Clark, the author of The Poisoned City, was on my show. And we got really involved in the conversation. It's... Uh, it's not the only book I've read, but it's the most recent book I've read. And uh, it was such an interesting conversation that we both decided there should be a part two, and that happens today. Anna, welcome back. I am so glad to be back. This is wonderful. Thank you for having me. Um, every time I go on Facebook now, I see something about you and the book and a <laughs> signing somewhere. I, uh, hope, I hope it's not getting annoying. <laughs> no. Oh. I, I, I was, I was going to ask, how is that for you to be that busy out promoting the book i mean you used to when something is done it's done and you're on to the next thing yeah yeah i mean i, I mean it's interesting i mean i i i 
I enjoy liter- literary events, um, book events. Um, when I'm on, I, I've enjoyed them on, from being on all sides of it. You know, I'm part of a group where we've staged events for other writers. We sure. do a reading series in Detroit. I love it. We try to make them really fun and interactive. Um, I, I enjoy going to uh, um, really great events. And when I've done events in the past, you know, it's I, I've really appreciated them as a way to just you know kind of like take stories off the page and you know bring it into a community sure. and have some of that back and forth stuff. But it is it is kind of different now. It, it's interesting. The book came out in July. We did sort of a flurry of events, including a pre-event in Flint. And um, there's been, you know. Yeah, that was at Tenacity, it wasn't was, it? It was. Good memory. And um, um, we're now in the sort of like late summer lull. And then after Labor Day, there's like a ton. So in a certain, to a certain extent, I think I gotta, I've got to, you know like rest up because <laughs> I don't quite know what it's going to be like. I know it. I, I, I imagine I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing people's questions, their own stories, help me to think about this material in new ways, um, to find different ways of talking about this, you know, to not just do the same sort of like stump speech every time to really like find creative, you know, engaging ways to like bring this to life. I've got, you know, a lot of like images and, you know, just, you know, things I can bring into the room besides just me talking. Um, um, I'm looking forward to that um, and, you know, kind of growing with the story um, myself, you know, as, as, as I do this. I, you know, that also makes me wonder, um, as we talked about the last time, the, the book really does a tremendous job of outlining what happened. You know, when people say the Flint water crisis, everybody knows, no, 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 you know, the governor poisoned the city of Flint. You know, that's that's how some people throughout the country are looking at that story. But but you actually put it in context and talk about step by step the the failures that, you know, happened. And and some of it was just a lack of information. I mean, we you know, lead was being touted in the 20s and 30s as this miracle metal you know that was yeah <laughs> good for everything and people were actually campaigning for its use mm-hmm. um and we went from that to saying no lead bad you know and and yet all these cities like flint you know were full of lead pipes and and so on so it was kind of a an accident waiting to happen um but this story is long from finished. Right. Do you find yourself when you go out, you know, as things happen, like last this last week with uh, Nick Lyons being bound over for trial, uh, Nick Lyons, the uh, former head of uh, Health and Human Services. Or the current head. He's still oh, the, yeah, in the Yeah, that's role. right. That's right. Which is in itself a, quite an interesting, you know, detail. Yeah, there was, um, I can't remember if it was uh, this week. Or uh, the previous week on Armchair Politics, we were talking about the governor had um, was actually standing up for um, for Lions, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it must have been the week before. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems like, you know, like one of the reason he and also Eden Wells, the medical executive who's also yeah. been facing charges, I think one of the reason they're still actively in their roles, not even, you know, suspended or anything like that, is partly because they have, you know, um, the governor's like 
full support, right? Um, and that's yeah, you're right. And and then the, there's clearly there's things still there playing are, out. Just yeah. since the last time we talked, more is happening, right? Um, and, 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 and the I, thing and I, is, yeah. now <laughs> you go out and talk about your book, mm-hmm. but I would suspect that people like I'm doing now, are going to be asking you questions about these new developments. Are you are you able to I keep hope up they do. with uh, yeah. some of the stuff? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm literally working an article that, on an article right now that picks up on the, um, the news about uh, Nick Line and trying to, you know, bring some different kinds of context to it, which will hopefully hopefully be out next week. So just I'm putting back my like article writing journalist hat to continue <laughs> following the story even beyond the book. And of course I you know, I care what happens. I'm interested in what happens. So um just as a citizen, you know, I'm still following things and I want to see sure. where things go and what you know, just what happens you know so um if if folks come to the room if there's something i don't know about i'm not going to fake it of course you know and if there's people in the room who know more than i do you know um because they're from flint they've experienced this that or the other i'm happy you know like i don't want to feign being the uh, like a sole source of knowledge you know like I'm, i'm a seeker too you know but um uh whatever i can share and um whatever i can continue learning as this you know as this story continues to unfold um i'm 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 excited about it i'm interested do you think the um the various people that are facing charges are are being charged appropriately yeah that that question has come up a lot right like and, I, and <laughs> i don't and i don't mean to you know have you feign being a lawyer <laughs> but as somebody who really understands what happened, a lot of this happened to the people that are being right. charged as well. It just showed up on their desk and with no real prep or, or precedent to follow. I do think we're in kind of uncharted territories in every way. And partly that's um, partly like what's showing how I think unprecedented so much of this is is um, when we can kind of see the tension of just the, the legal structure of this you know we can see the limits of our um, environmental law our environmental policies and also our um, just our, our, our system of you know checks and balances our judiciary you know just the fact that you know the state us taxpayers are funding like both the prosecution and the defense is totally that has, weird that's haunted it's me from really the beginning weird, right you know it's like the system has not quite you know figured out good ways to investigate itself i mean we, there is the special prosecutor model right to try to like you know you know present some you know to kind of sidestep a conflict of interest because attorney general is supposed to represent the state so what do you do when like state actors do wrong um the special uh, having a special prosecutor both in washington and you know in um michigan you know is supposed to is supposed to check that so like okay that's one setup but there's all kinds of other questions you know um that i think we haven't quite um if it seems like it's not working, if it's uh, like going badly, like maybe if, if, if people are making wrong choices, like maybe there's opportunities for reform, you know, for other instances like this. Because I do think this has been, you know, um, for people who do want to see are very clear that this was th- this was like a man-made disaster. There are decisions made, but how do you trace responsibility back? How do you... Um, 
measure, you know, the weight of any individual decision? How do you um, match yeah, that how up much against of this, law? How much of mm-hmm. this contributes to um, correcting problems and how much of it is about revenge. Well, I mean, I'd like, I think wait, wait, <laughs> people I, have a lot of Actually, okay. you're going to have to, we're going to have to okay. pause right there, but think on that for a minute. Revenge. We'll be right back. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Crime Stoppers is offering up to $2,500 for information that helps lead to the felony arrest of the person responsible for killing Sidney Pettigrew. On Tuesday, May 1st, 2018, 51-year-old Sidney Pettigrew was shot and killed while working out at the Rock Fitness Center in the 2500 block of South Saginaw Street on Flint Southside. Submit information anonymously at p3tips.com or by calling 1-800-422-JAIL. Remember, your voice matters. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. This is Namdi Asamoah. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor and mentor. Why? Because over a million kids a year drop out of school, and that's not okay. It takes 12 years to create a graduate, but it takes about the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be me, or it could be you. Studies show that if we get to these kids earlier, their chances are better, and kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. So join me in United Way. Suit up and take the pledge. Become a volunteer reader, tutor, or mentor, because when a child succeeds, we all succeed. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way, the Ad Council, and the National Football League. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Attention men under the age of 35. You know what really impresses the ladies? When a guy has a few drinks and later gets pulled over for buzz driving. 
That could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. There goes let's grab dinner and a movie. Oh, I know. You drive more carefully when you're buzzed. You've proven that hundreds of times. A woman admires that kind of confidence. And you've practiced how to speak if a cop does pull you over. Slowly, clearly, and politely like, good evening, officer. A woman admires that kind of foresight. And what woman doesn't find it adorable that you call it buzzed even though the law calls it drunk? You could kiss $10,000 goodbye, along with any chance of having a girlfriend. Because nothing says, I'm a catch, more than a guy who lives in his parents' basement and calls it my place. Buzzed, busted, and broke. Because buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Support for the Tom Sumner Program comes from Hamity Complete Food Center, the same family values and community spirit that founded Hamity's back in 1911 and sent trucks of food to sit-down strikers in 1937, is back. Hamity sacks and all. Hamity Complete Food Center is located at 2629 West Pearson Road near Clio Road in Flint and on Facebook. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Stream us live weekdays at 9 Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Made possible by listeners like you. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is the author of a book called The Poison City about the Flint water crisis, Anna Clark. Anna, welcome back. Hello. And we were, uh, we, we were just uh, working out the differences between uh, corrective action and revenge with <laughs> regard to some of the legal issues that have uh, grown out of the Flint water crisis. And, and right. I cut you off because we had to go to break. Now, yeah, yeah. But like my, my thoughts have been burning ever since. Because um, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot to that, right? Like, I mean, I feel like, you know, if, uh, uh, you know, of course, like if people for, uh, you know, of course, with the, in terms of corrective action, you want nothing like this to ever happen again, not in Flint, not anywhere, right? And so whatever problems, you know, contribute to this, you know, it we it'd be great to see, um, some meaningful, substantial policy permanent, you know, reforms, you know, and that some of those, you know, have made some progress. Some have been totally untouched, you know, I would, I would argue, you know, like the emergency manager law, for example, remains exactly as it was, you know, uh, it, it, even though a number of investigative p- committees have pointed to that as a, con- including the governor's own, you know, as a contributing factor and without some reform to that system, um, then, you know, what's to stop some of those some of that same sort of unchecked decision making happening again so corrective action of course that's a concern and then but in the courts you know you know i i don't i can't blame people for you know having you know having wanting to feeling like great harm was done to them and feeling very angry about that at, at, at the people they see having um contributed to that so I think that motion is very understandable um, and uh, I think of course you know if we're doing a prosecution about this it's not it's inappropriate to um, scapegoat anyone or to trump up charges for headlines or to or for um, 
um, political ambitions in service of political ambitions or anything like that. I think it's important to be very alert to the process of how 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 this is happening. Um, but also, like the courtroom is 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 part of the democratic system. You know, the city of Flint had um, was denied its like full capacity of democratic governance. It's not unreasonable for them to want this piece, the judicial piece, to to work with them, you know, to like, to, to meet this like need. It, it, it is supposed to be the system that is, uh, you know, brings accountability to um, decisions that were made that were illegal and caused harm. And that includes, you know, active decisions and also um, neglectful decisions, you know, like neglect that um, manifested as a, a, a you know, a dereliction of duty, you know, of, of their of their public responsibilities, you know. So um, there's, an, you know, there's, I think, I think another piece of the, like the justice, you know, the, the prosecution that hasn't been talked a lot about, too, is also the civil suits, you know, against the two contractors. Um, I think that's also a meaningful piece um, that, uh, uh, I don't know, just deserves more attention to, you know, as we're trying to seek out um one you of the know, things responsibility one of the things that that i really enjoyed about your book was when you started at the very beginning of the development of municipal water systems yeah. showing basically a half a dozen wells in a town and one was bad and they'd close that well that was public health you know <laughs> don't use that well and 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 then as it evolved and as science kicked in you know we started knowing how to to address issues with water with bacteria with all of these you know different uh, uh, illnesses you know waterborne illnesses and so on and and how to move water from one place mm -hmm. to another all of this technology evolves and the when you talk about teachable moments is the discovery and and the way that that the public and government is reacting to the new uh, awareness of PFAS a, a really good test for whether or not lessons have been learned from what happened in Flint? I do think there has been more proactive action with um, the uh, the PFAS situation because of what happened with Flint, you know? There was, See, like, I'm bottled thinking, water delivery and, like, parchment, you know? I'm thinking even Quickly. the discovery <laughs> itself mm. may be a result of, you know, this isn't just about correcting the the lead and copper rule, but looking now for other things that we haven't been looking for. Right. Because the PFAS thing, they discovered it was bad and they stopped doing it. What they didn't realize was that it had adhered itself to old pipe and to old manufacturing equipment and, and it was so like spreading you know like these like plumes you know like kind of yeah. underground you know that were sort of un even after mm -hmm. people stopped right. using the right. chemical right and but but the fact that people started looking for it and and found it is is that kind of what we hope comes out of what happened in flint and and your book and and others because there have yeah. been a number of documentaries and um and there probably will be more but 
the the public awareness that you know if this could happen in Flint, maybe it could happen somewhere else. But that not just lead. What else is in there? Right. You know, I we're think asking those questions. Now. That's 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 honestly this is something that I think is like kind of hopeful, and I love how you're kind of connecting this to this like history of progress, like with water treatment and delivery and public health concerns, because it was it was rough you know for a well, long time you know and, and figuring and out how and to do drinking water and it's rough now mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. happens in every phase people get sick we find out why we fix the problem that's the history that's a, yeah. of how this has evolved yeah and there, and it's and it's not ne- and it's never quite a straight line either because there's always like new variables that can kind of you know some different <laughs> communities geography or different whatever you know yeah but um but like what i hope is that you know especially with like you know the prominence of flint story that it has woken people up i do think that's like shaped you know residences you know um who are dealing with like pfas i feel like it's shaped their like reaction to this i'm certain it is um um, improved the response and rigor of journalists who have been covering it, um, you know, like who they're more prepared to ask better, stronger questions sooner about what what's safe and what's the protocol. And they're more familiar with the safe drinking water law now. And that's great. That means like we're getting more and accurate information sooner about what's happening, all of which is essential to actually, you know, figuring out how to deal with this problem, which we haven't quite done yet, you know, and a lot of people are still, you know, struggling with this so both in Michigan and beyond so um so yeah I mean like I I I think like I think we're kind of if we're kind of in this like new phase I think part of it is like dealing with um not just uh not just you know an outbreak of something like really obvious like cholera that could be connected to our water supply but how do we deal with these like contaminants that um can be slow acting and cumulative and sometimes you know you know invisible you know how do we but are nonetheless very real and have 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 toxic effects on human beings i think i think that's what both you know our public health our um public works and our legal system all need to evolve to uh to to be able to hold you know like these these like um because it's 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 affecting people's lives and you know we gotta we gotta manage it you know, we had, uh, there was a story uh, this last week um, where Rich Baird, uh, top aide to uh, Governor Rick Snyder, said the state should support the city of Flint as it decides how best to excavate water service lines. There was a, a process called hydro excavation right. that the state recommended. It was a little less expensive and a little quicker to get results. Mm-hmm. But the mayor argued that it wasn't 100% effective and ordered the process to be stopped in favor of the more expensive excavation. Rich Baird is saying, given Flint's issue with uh, trust and the fact that we really need 100% correct answers, that money shouldn't be the Mm -hmm. issue here. A lot of people are saying money was the issue at the beginning when this all went to pieces <laughs> and and um it, that shows a certain amount of correction in and of itself mm. doesn't it hmm. that's a really interesting way to put it you're the, i mean i was following some of that like debate about like how how we should be excavating the pipes and all that um and that's that's interesting I, how you're um the context you're putting that into i i think it's like 
I think it is true. I mean, like that, that is part of what's like at the heart of Flint's story, right? Is like how, you know, at what point is like austerity is like this, like these sort of like budget crunching. At what point is it, um, um, beside the point, <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, like, because, because, um, both the human lives and the, the public trust are, at, are at stake in, at, in really critical times, you know, um, I think like, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's like completely appropriate to go in Flint with the pipes to go like above and beyond with like making sure this is sort of a, you know, top quality accurate as accurate as possible you know process for these pipes i think i think the city deserves that i think that's like a reasonable thing for it to ask for and maybe that can be a model to that other communities around the country that well, the are cheap, about the their cheapest pipes. way yeah. isn't always the best the cheapest way. way isn't always the best way it isn't always the worst way either too you know like i want to like be you know i know public works i'm if speaking very broadly least, here if you can find the least expensive way to do something effectively right you should always pick that one, but you that's know. part of a public responsibility too, right? You know, because that's like you know, and especially you know when you know, there are many com- you know conflicting needs. And I think like you know, I think just the history of public works throughout the 20th century has been very like rife with corruption. I mean, we're seeing a lot of this in like Macomb County right now, you know, with a lot of like kickbacks and da da da. You know, that drives up yeah. costs that other people are pocketing. You know, um, it's. It's appropriate to, you know, have a lot of transparency around this process to know where the money's going and why. Um, And, you know, for these, like, big public works projects. But, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, um, you know, if the the most important thing is to deliver this, like, public good, you know, in a high-quality, you know, long-lasting way, you know, and... Um, if you can, if it costs a great deal of money to do that, it, it is, it very well may be worth it. You know, if you can find ways to keep that top quality and do it less great, you know, but like, you know, when, if you start making compromises, you got to be very clear on what, what, and in, in many cases who you are, you are compromising. And I think that's, that was part of like, part of the start of this whole like water problem here is um is feeling like you know the that that these shortcuts with drinking water um was good enough for this community and clearly it wasn't and 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 wasn't for any community anywhere ever never um the and and as as you were talking i was i was wondering at what point in in your following this story did it become a book in your mind? What what was it about? Was it looking at some of the coverage and all of the vitriol and all of the stuff that was brewing around these issues that made you say, somebody needs to record what actually happened? It's so funny you ask that because I was talking with somebody who's um, very engaged with water things that are going on both in Michigan and nationally just yesterday. And she asked the exact same question and I the answer I gave her was kind of rambling and then I was thinking about it a lot afterwards and felt kind of unsatisfied with it um I you know because it didn't feel quite right because I was sort of seeking out I was like when did I you know like when when did I kind of see this as a book I I I think what's true is like um 
you know, I'd written articles, you know, about what was going on here in Flint for various national publications and in some of the related issues about infrastructure, about shrinking cities, about vacancy, about emergency management. I've been covering in Detroit for many years as well. Um, and, and in my mind, clearly all of this was, you know, I could see how this was all connected, how it was like part of one bigger story. Um, but when I'm putting it out in one article after another, those connections couldn't, I didn't always have the space to make that clear, especially when I'm writing for a lot of different publications, you know. I mean, it seemed that, you know, to tell the truth about what happened, you definitely needed to like kind of bring some cohesion here, you know, like to bring... Pull, pull it all together. You needed space and you needed time to do it. Um, and, and to bring some like, I think, like I hope too, like not just bring clarity to like the facts of what happened, but also I think some dignity and even beauty to it. Like I wanted to write about it, I hope like beautifully, you know. Um, I, the, the, the turning point really came there when um, there was an agent who read one of my articles and reached out about the possibility of doing a book. And I was a little cautious at first, you know, I, I mean, I was a freelance writer, so I'm like, work, 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 deadline centric, sure. reactive, you know, I didn't always get a lot of time to step back and think about, could I do like that big project that brings us all together? It's clear that like it needed one or plenty, you know, of people to do that. Um, but I, I was so like in yeah, the But what's interesting wheel, is a lot of people, <laughs> you know, books and movies and things have, have already been spawned from this event. Right. But they're all from a point of view. There isn't one that, that attempts to sit down and say chronologically, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. There's, there's this sense, you know, you've got this one camp that thinks, well, Rick Snyder doesn't like black people, so he didn't care about Flint. Or Rick, I, I a couple times speculated that he didn't like Democrats. So, <laughs> you know, anything in Genesee County wasn't going to get much help. Um, he lost here the first time, 60-40. Yeah. In, in an election, he won statewide, 60-40. Yeah, yeah. That's um, interesting. The, um, you know, and, and, and then there's the haves and haves nots part of mm -hmm. that where some people say, well, you know, if it had been a rich white community, this wouldn't have happened. And all of that may be true. But what's interesting about your book is it it sets things up in, a, in, in the stages in such a way that you might understand why people would make the mistakes and the choices they made i do yeah i felt like that was like i mean when i was like working on this and you can imagine like you know especially you don't when there's speculate a lot of as to why you don't say why somebody would change a report or why somebody would make a decision that that ended up leading to mm -hmm. not putting uh, uh the corrosion control the corrosion controls mm -hmm. in the in the uh in the water treatment um, you didn't speculate specifically about those things, but by showing the history of how water systems developed, you really put it in a context that allowed for human error as sort of a natural consequence. Well, I think like, and, and part <laughs> of what I mean, part of what's interesting is I think people like can. I mean, my job is it. My job, like, this is. Hmm. One of the things I think I could contribute to this is like, you know, being having some um, is just being is just being a journalist. Right. And having like being like a step distant 
from what happened. And when I was first working on this, you can imagine that that like brought a lot of, you know, just raised some red flags about people like I'm not from here, you know, like what, you know, what, what's your, you know, where are you coming from? Because there's so many people doing so many things here. There were so many conflicting points of view and interpretations. People very reasonably were like, who are you and where'd you come from and what are you doing? <laughs> you know, um, there was a lot of skepticism about it, but I actually think that was like, what I could offer, you know, is like, um, like I, I felt like I was close in a way. Like, I, I mean, I wasn't a total outsider, just like living and working in a city that has shares a lot of like relationship with Detroit, having been, you know, from Michigan, being very familiar with our politics and our, you know what I mean? Like that, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't new to a lot of the issues that, you know, Flint was dealing with, but I'm also clearly like, you know, I was clearly new, new to the community in a lot of ways and was like meeting people and trying to understand the unique dynamics here. And, um, and, and, and they are unique. They are, they <laughs> are. Like, I mean, I've told people like nationally about this, like people make this mistake of seeing Flint as like quote, mini Detroit, not true. <laughs> it is its own place, you know, and it's one in wonderful ways and also very, you know, eccentric ways too, that I've come to have some affection for um like <laughs> it's um it's uh it's yeah like i mean i felt like like one of the, what i wanted to do is like put forward you know like to bring some like um to just tell the truth i mean i just wanted to tell the truth about like what happened and i do have my point of view is and like in, in there like in the end way. i have some yeah i have some like you know there are specific things i'm like we should have more transparency in our government we need to reform those laws and we need to like you know recommit to these ideals of the common good and i, I mean i'm I, I, so I, i'm not like purely objective but i did want like not my rhetoric to make my argument for me but i wanted like to the facts to tell the story and i wanted to check myself on that too i hired with my own money um a reporter who um worked as my fact checker you know for this and caught stuff you know which is so is great <laughs> so it's a truer book you know um because of that um because i felt like you know in the midst of so much confusion um and and emotion you know like the very least i can do to like honor this community that um is to like have the facts straight um and if i can go beyond that and and bring and make it a good book like a, a book that people like to read a book that's engaging and galvanizing you know that makes me thrilled. Well, I I, I think it's um, laudable, as I as I said before, that there is a, a an actual historical record of what happened. Yeah, and and not just the. Um, the emotion and the politics of what happened. And I want, and you know, outside there've been like a billion reports, right? You know this you know committee and this you know inspector general and like there's like a lot of people have done reports they're very good document a lot of stuff but like i want you know like how do i how, i want to synthesize some of the key information put it together the narrative that isn't going to get like buried in you know some back storage room you know at a public office yeah i think um kurt got uh Gaillette was the the first reporter to really pick up on the fact that there was a story here he, he played a very key role i think he's like and, and he's he, gotten a lot of credit for it and i and i think but i think in some ways he's um um still kind of an overlooked person in the story well he he really is and and the thing that's so funny about it and it it speaks to why it was so important to have a book like yours is this story probably wouldn't have been told the way that it was if he hadn't 
tripped over it. He was actually doing a story on emergency managers Mm -hmm. and stumbled onto something's going on with the Flint water. Right. And and wrote about it. And, And that was the very beginning of giving credibility to complaints that citizens had. Right. And and it would have been considerably longer because I don't think local media did a particularly good job. They like I mean I I do I will they say they won like, a going, lot of awards. Like but. going back, I like I did respect you know like a lot of those like daily dispatches of like this meeting and this notice yeah. and stuff like that. I mean like that's that's a contribution and I relied on that you know to kind of piece together a lot of this. Um, but I think I, I do think it's interesting like that you know the c- clear turn in the story was when. Um, Kurt Guyette was given that memo from Miguel del Toro yeah. by Leanne. Yeah, and I think it's huge. interesting that she picked him to give it to, you know, like he was the one that she trusted. He was the f- first one that was doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. We got to take a short yeah. break. We'll be back and talk more with author, reporter, Anna Clark right after this. Yeah. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly... It's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. 
Engineering and IT Services at swiftland.technology. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Flint Community Schools encourages area families to enroll today for the 2018-19 school year. Reinforce the importance of a high-quality education to your child by enrolling early at Flint Community Schools. To enroll, visit the administration building at 923 East Kersley Street in Flint, which is open year-round. For more information or answers to common questions, visit flintschools.org or call 810-760-1000. Support for the Tom Sumner Program comes from Hamity Complete Food Center, the same family values and community spirit that founded Hamity's back in 1911 and sent trucks of food to sit-down strikers in 1937, is back. Hamity sacks and all. Hamity Complete Food Center is located at 2629 West Pearson Road near Clio Road in Flint and on Facebook. Tom Sumner program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. Stream us live weekdays at 9 Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Made possible by listeners like you. The Tom Sumner program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Welcome back, everybody, as we continue my conversation with uh, reporter and author Anna Clark. Um, Anna, welcome back, Th- and thanks for being here. And, and again, the hour is going so fast. It is going fast. I, 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 I can't believe it, but I think we've uh, talked about some important things. And I think we should take this uh, remaining segment and, and talk about um, some things that we've touched on with regard to going forward how do we not make the mistakes of the past one of the things that your book points out is about transparency yeah. and how horrible michigan is with transparency it's truly bad that's i mean that's this and this was known even before like all the troubles of the water crisis it was well recorded by um i think it's the center for public integrity they do i had national, people from yeah. there on the show oh, four yeah. or five years you ago mentioned something like this when right. they came out with a report that indicated Michigan was the worst. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It's like it was notoriously out bad. Of Fifty states. And just because we the worst. just because we get used to things doesn't mean like just because they're normal for us doesn't mean it's um, normal. Period. You know, like just because we're familiar with it doesn't make it normal or right. Um, it's uh, yeah. So so that's that shows up in a few ways. Like we're one of only two states where both the legislature and the governor are exempt from public records requests. That's the Freedom of Information Act. We're both citizens and journalists anybody can you know petition you know for like um you know can send a request and get back you know public records documents internal emails and a number of other things there's always exceptions about you know understandable ones about you know that could reveal individuals health information or something like that but you know generally saying that like you know what our legislative and you know this this is our you you are public representatives your information should be public we're one of only two states that makes the legislature and the governor exempt well, it, when the governor, in the height of the water crisis revelations, when the governor um, released the emails that he did, he did that under great pressure 
because um, um, uh, um, because pretty much everybody could universally agree that that was a necessary thing to do to do understand more about what was going on. But he didn't have to, and there's no... There's no there's no policy that requires him to do it. There's no check to make sure it's all of them. Um, this is something that's still the same. Like this is a, like this is a bipartisan reform effort was unless put he forward. gets sued. <laughs> I mean, and but and even that, like, there's no but there's no law. There's like we he's not he like voluntarily like gave those but under great were, pressure. He but didn't if he have were to. subpoenaed <laughs> in a civil or criminal case, he would have. to to surrender that yeah, there's information. Diff- yeah, there's different tools so you get. So giving the, the stuff yeah. out mm-hmm. was probably, had he not, had he relied on the protection of that exemption from mm-hmm. FOIA, he would have invited charges or a lawsuit sooner. Probably. I mean, honestly, like there's, I mean, that's interesting. Like, because there's, I mean, clearly there is a great public interest that's in there, but there's a great public interest in what, you know, in all in, 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 in all, all of that, fairness, you know, like <laughs> in all fairness to the governor, and you may think that he's, you know, maybe out of touch or, you know, too in league with his rich buddies, and uh, you know, all of the things that people have said about him. At the end of the day, I, I I don't think he intended for harm to come, and he was as freaked out by all of this as everyone else was, you know, and 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 I think. There were a couple of moments where the governor stepped up and said, oops, and I'm sorry. Honestly, I wish more people would say that directly. Like, I'm sorry. I I do wish that. And and I think his uh, releasing those emails was... It was a good thing. I mean, it was necessary. Like, it's helped all of us to understand what happened. I just think that we should, you know, make it so that Every governor, you know, and, and it's not, and it's not just their own personal emails. It's like they're, they're dep- the whole executive office, you know, that all that we should have the same transparency laws that nearly every other state in this country has. I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I, I think that's that's something that really should be pushed for. Um, but but I think uh, you know certainly part of it was strategy. <laughs> I imagine, but, but, yeah. But I, I mean, think, they must have known, you know. But I but I think. Uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, he probably felt that it was the right thing to do. Well, good. You know, like if that's so good, because it was. You know, and I'm glad. I, I you mean, know, I, and and maybe that's wishful thinking. And maybe part, so. I mean, people I are so. like, I do think too. Like, if, another thing of of the many revelations about the Flint water crisis is just another reminder about how complicated people are. You know, we're all capable <laughs> of great good and great evil at the same time. You know, like it's so it's so it's so tricky. You know, like you you know like nobody. Um, nobody is just one thing, you know, like nobody is, you know, like we all have, you know, um, in different situations, different parts of our character comes out, you know, um, and different contexts we're seen different ways, but we're, you know, we're very multifaceted people and, and all the folks in this story, you know, like the, the, the community residents, the activists, the public officials, the private, you know, uh, consultants and so on, like every, you know, there's just, this has been quite a, quite a, uh, you know confluence of character <laughs> um would transparency alone have um sped up the alarm and reaction to the fact that there was a a real serious problem in flint or are there other things that 
would have to be in place as well? Um, I think it's I think it's possible, and I think that's um, I mean I don't know I mean I wish I could kind of like look back and see the alternate histories how it would have played out, but like it would have been possible for you know especially in that like year when there was clear there was a lot of like wild things going on with the water, but nobody quite knew what was going on or like what's the scope and da 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 and this you know to have to had a journalist or citizen like you know had access to some of the internal communications that we saw later in the um, that. Came out in the emails um, and the documents and the reports and internal stuff like that might that could have like you know um, shaped the shaped the public conversation differently. I mean, you saw like you know eight high level aides you know discussing like the General Motors you know switch back and you know talk and talking about how like alarming that there were there they were they were at that you know like that that change it that might have changed how people how swiftly, you know, things moved after that, you know? Um, I don't know. Um, but I think that the p- just the possibility of it makes that um, a little bit haunting. And I also think there are other measures, too, that are important. You know, there's, like, other kinds of checks and balances that show up, like um, um, ombudsman <coughs> offices, you know, for example. And, you know, having, uh, having when you have public, all kinds of public records, not just, you know, um, the, including the ones that we we currently do have access to, like having some kind of like, you know, uh, uh, there's there's like some some states have like you know kind of a a better I guess you know like a like a better appeals process you know like if like records are denied you can like you can um you can get it like vetted simpler um, there's there's a number of other things and, and the Center for Public Integrity when they like kind of outline why Michigan you know, w- was seen as the most secretive. There's a number of things they pointed to besides, you know, things that have to do with open records. And I think it's a pretty good um, blueprint for um, what those of us who care about bringing more transparency to our government, who see that as like a pretty critical um, way f- to f- critical, like um, uh, uh, ingredient to ha- for our healthy communities. I think that's would be very helpful. You know, we should follow that. <laughs> So what's uh, what's next for you? Well, I got to finish this article I'm working on that is picking up off the MDHHS directors, um, you know, that that judgment kind of looking, putting, trying to put that in context. And I'm also kind of, you know, interested in how how that's affecting health and social service agencies around the state, how this whole process has been affecting them. So I'm working on a piece about that and um, I'm going to um building up you know kind of getting back into some of this article writing too while also you know taking you know trying to go tour to different communities and talk about um flint's story with the with the book in hand as well i think that'll be fun i think so too (laughs) anna it is such a pleasure to talk with you and thanks again for the time that you've spent here with us i really appreciate it thank you i really enjoy it um now coming up during the uh, next hour of course, at the top of the hour, we got five minutes of news. Sean Cantwell standing by the news desk in Lapeer with five minutes of news he's going to share with you uh, here in just a moment. And then uh, this weekend is the Crim Festival of Races in Flint. Yesterday, uh, race director Andrew Younger was on previewing what's uh, going to be happening. But back in 2013, right pretty soon after the uh, marathon, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing, the director of the Boston Marathon, David McGilvery, came to Flint and ran the crim. 
and I sat down with him and Andrew Younger from the Crim and Bobby Crim himself, former Speaker of the State House, who founded the Crim race 42 years ago. And he's running in the race, by the, by the way, at age 86. Uh, he ran 10 miles last year at 85. I, I, he retired, made a big deal out of retiring from the 10-mile. The so this year he's only running the 5-mile at 86. Um, if, if, if I could run to my car at 86, I'd be happy. But anyway, it's a very interesting uh, offering for Throwback Thursday. It's uh, both topical and historical. And uh, it's an interesting conversation because of the inclusion of David McGilvery from the Boston Marathon and, of course, the founder himself, Bobby Krim. So I'll have that coming up for you in just a few minutes. Uh, thanks again to Anna Clark. And uh, tomorrow, let's see, what have we got tomorrow that's going to be really fun? Queen Elizabeth. Yeah. <laughs> How can you do better? She's not actually from Merry Old England. She's from Merry Old Holly Grove. But uh, she'll be on the show tomorrow. 